I have a question that I want you to ponder. For those of you who are stateside, this is probably the most important question in your life right now. Let me give it to you. The question is, how does your faith govern your heart this election season? This is a vital question, and you have talked to your friends. You've had many conversations across social media. Uh, you know many folks are struggling, and perhaps it is you. You understand why the question is vital. And even those who do not live in America are uh, concerned. They have similar questions. We have folks who listen around the world, and they have been asking and sharing their concern by what is happening in America, and I think most people understand, and I don't mean this arrogantly, but America, as far as uh, this world, humanly speaking, is concerned, is the epicenter, and things seem to rise and fall on what happens in the United States. And I do not mean that arrogantly at all. I really don't, but uh, America has been a blessed country for over 200 years. God has done some remarkable things, and he has used this country as a, a means of grace uh, to spread his word, to spread his fame, and even reach around the world. And so there has been a lot to celebrate about our country, but everybody knows that the winds of change are here, and it's more like a hurricane or a storm, and that's why I'm asking the question, how does your faith govern your heart this election season? I'm not above the fray. I become frustrated and disheartened, as many of you do, and I need to reorient my mind around the truths and the clarity of the gospel and so I am like many of you. And so as I share these podcasts and articles, I, I share them as with you, not above you or different from you. Now, this podcast is different in the sense that the article that I'm going to share with you, I didn't write it. Uh, we have a team of writers, and then every now and then we have a guest writer and I love to have uh, entertained the idea of guest writers, folks that aren't on our writing team, but they want to submit something for us to put on our website and to share widely. And this one was written by Tracy Keene. Tracy has written a couple of articles, maybe half a dozen, I'm not sure, but she's written a few articles for us over the years and uh, at at last, I recall, Tracy lives in Hawaii with her husband who is in the military, and so she's a military wife, and she has a an interesting perspective, one, as a Christian, of course, and then uh, two, as someone who does travel the country in the sense that she has lived in several different places. Tracy came to our ministry many years ago. She wrote me a, a letter uh, she is a graduate, I believe, of uh, New Orleans uh, New Orleans Seminary, maybe, uh, Baptist Seminary, maybe. But she wrote me a letter. It was a long time ago, back when folks wrote letters, and she read our work. She was benefiting from it, and she said very humbly, would you like an editor? 
And I just laughed. I probably laughed out loud because I know, I understand the weaknesses in my writing. Uh, School was something that uh, I endured, high school that is, in elementary and middle grade school. And I didn't put much time into it. I didn't see the value of it. And, of course, it has had a huge effect on the rest of my life as far as reading and writing is concerned. And so I have been a work in progress for over six decades now. My writing has gotten better. I I do understand that. But back when we started this ministry, uh, some of the stuff that I put out there was embarrassing from a grammatical perspective. And so Tracy wrote a very kind letter and said, would you like an editor? And it's, yes, I would. And so in the early years, she did uh, some of our editing work. Uh, Today, we have Sarah Hayhurst, uh, who is a professional editor, and she goes through the current article content. She doesn't go through the past content because there's just too much there. Uh, But we do have editing help now more so than we had in the past. But that's how I met Tracy, and it's always a humorous story when I I think about how she she first came to our our ministry. Uh, But it was humorous, but I was also thankful, uh, one, that she was benefiting from it, that she was navigating the poor grammar and actually drawing out things that she could benefit from. Uh, But more than that, she actually wanted to participate. She wanted to volunteer. She wanted to help uh, because she did see the benefit of it. Now, for those of you who have a a particular skill set and you want to help, we had a lady uh, came on board just yesterday, one of our mastermind students, who said, I would like to help with the editing as well. I would like to get on the back end of the website with your thousand other articles, and as I go through them, offer editing tips. And so I, I love those correctives. I love people speaking into my life and speaking into this ministry in redemptive ways. And when it comes to making our product better, well, I, I can only express gratitude. And so if you have a unique skill set at a high level and it can fold into what we're doing and you want to volunteer and help in some way, then please let us know and I would love to consider it. But in addition to doing some editing work back in the day, uh, Tracy has written a few articles and so she wrote this one here. And because it's so relevant, I want to share it with you. Again, the title of it is, How Does Your Faith Govern Your Heart This Election Season? It's a short article and you can read it by that title on our website. Just go into the search feature, uh, type the word election. That's all you have to do. When you search for something on our website, you don't need to know the entire title. You can get a word or a couple of words or a phrase, and if you type those in the search box, you will be able uh, to find it. And this article by Tracy will most definitely pop up. And you can read it. I also have a couple of dozen other uh, articles embedded inside of this one, and I trust that it will be an encouragement to you. Plus, I have the popular 
video, a Christian perspective on a presidential election. There have this video, the article, the podcast. There's also a graphic inside of this particular article on a Christian perspective on a presidential election. And all of those component parts have been widely shared across the internet, either the article or the podcast or the video or the poster that I I built because this is something that is truly relevant to all of us, especially in America, but also understand around the world. And so Tracy uh, said she was. Uh, this is a devotional study from from what she was doing in the uh, Book of Exodus as she was studying Moses's parents. And she said this recently doing a study on Moses, something grabbed my attention this time. And it wasn't the usual question of how anyone can live off of manna for so long. The first chapter of Exodus gives us a glimpse into the lives of a truly remarkable family, particularly the parents who trusted God in a country that did not. And you can already hear the relevance of this message to the life that you are living today. And it is a phenomenal thing that the old book is on the wrong side of history. It is antiquated and archaic and has no relevance for today but yet you know how untrue that is. The Bible is uh, the greatest book that's ever been penned, and the relevancy of that book, well, it will always be relevant. And so as you delve into the book of Exodus and you begin to read just a snippet on the life of Moses' parents in a political, a country that is so adverse to the ways of God. And so there is a call to trust here. And Moses' parents had to trust in a country that was rejecting God in a most blatant way. And so there is a practical application for all of us as we go through another election cycle. As I read Exodus, the Attention is usually on Moses and his being used by God to lead the Israelites to safety. Of course, that's what everybody thinks about. Many of you have seen the movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. That was one of my early introductions to Christianity through Hollywood. Yes, there is irony there. I believe that movie was in 1959, something like that, but it was very popular throughout the 60s. And then, well, it's not as popular today, but millions of people around the world have seen that movie. And when you talk about Exodus and this particular time period, well, of course, Moses is, uh, he's head and shoulders above everyone else, and he's the one where we place our focus. But often overlooked are the actions of Moses' parents, and this is what I want you to think about. There's a lot written regarding Moses. I mean, there's not a lot written regarding Moses' parents, just a little in Exodus and in Hebrews. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and, and took as his wife a Levite woman. Not a lot there. And of course, Hebrews eleven twenty three. I will reference it in just a moment. 
And though I cannot fill in the missing parts of their lives, as it would be arguments from silence, there's just no information there. And so we would just, we would have to make up stuff to, to think that we know what, what their lives was like. This is what screenwriters do. They fill in all the blanks with whatever their uh, subjective presuppositions are. And so I'm not going to get into what I think their lives were like because I honestly don't know, but I do have some questions, like three. The first question is, how in the world did his mother hide him for three months? I'm curious. You know, these are some of the things that you want to ask the Lord. I, I, I've always imagined heaven, at least the first bit, uh, will be us just asking tons of questions, things we've we've always wondered about, and the Bible did not give us answers to. And one of those is, I kind of wish that there was a, a a video playback where we could actually watch some of these things, the true story, not the Hollywood production. Another question is, what convinced her that she could no longer successfully hide him? So she hides him for three months, and then she unhides him now. And so there's two, think about those two decisions. Those are profound decisions that somebody has to make. I'm going to hide my child for three months. And then after three months, well, I'm going to unhide him. And then my third question is, how did she find the courage to place her child in a basket in the water? Now, the first two questions won't find answers on this side of heaven. We'll have to wait to the eternal divine video playback. But the book of Hebrews does reveal the truth about my last query. How did she find the courage to place her child in a basket in the water? The Hebrew writer mentioned them uh, in the great hall of faith chapter. You know that is Hebrews chapter 11, specifically verse number 23. As I mentioned earlier, this is what it says, by faith, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, there's a lot of information packed in that sentence. This chapter in Hebrews, I mean, the whole of faith chapter, chapter 11, as we understand it, this chapter implies that that people remembered Moses' parents for their faith. If you're in this chapter, Hebrews 11, then the reason you are in it is because people know you as something, as a specific thing, as a person of faith. And you see it implied in the sentence. They were not afraid of the king's edict, meaning that fear did not control them. Well, the opposite of fear is Confidence in God, faith in God. Those are synonyms. Their faith was active. <laughs> Not those who say they are Christians, but their lives aren't much different from those who aren't. Their dedication to God propelled them to hide their son and then turn him loose in a river. Think about what that means. For those of you who have children, place yourself in their situation. I mean, just take the time to reflect on that for just a moment. For those of you who don't have children, pretend. And just think about what you imagine, the difficulty and the challenges and the fear that would try to rear up and become a stronghold in your mind. I can imagine, cannot imagine what would 
go through my head if I were Moses' mom and the thought first entered my mind to put my son in a basket in the river. My gut instinct tells me that my faith would not have passed a test. Now, I'm just being honest. I know that there's grace for these things when you come up to them and when you're in them. And a lot of times when we think about things like this, we are thinking about them outside of the actual thing happening. Now, that's different because when the thing has happened, and you have had this experience before, you, you think about something happening, it's like, I think I would fail the faith test. But then you're in it, and you find grace that you didn't need before. And so my gut instinct tells me that I would fail the faith test, but I also intuitively I'm, I'm aware that if it happens, and based on past experience and relationship with the Lord, that He has given me incredible undeserved grace in times of deep suffering and hurt. And so these thoughts are why I have great respect for Moses' parents, and in particular, his mother. This woman already had other children to look after while she was pregnant with Moses. Exodus gives us a look into the kind of life this family must have led as slaves in Egypt. It was hard. And so we can't imagine that. None of us are slaves. And so their situation is even far worse than ours. And so the amount of courage, not being afraid of the king and exercising active faith to do something that is counterintuitive to the culture is really profound. During an already challenging time comes a proclamation from the king to make the Israelites' lives a little more interesting. The king ordered the midwives to kill baby boys, but let the daughters live. And when the midwives did not obey because they feared God more, the king told his people to cast out every son born to a Hebrew. Being a pregnant slave with a family to look after it could not have been an easy task, and yet Moses' mom and dad were still putting their trust in God. And that really brings a big why question. I doubt it was because they knew there was an upcoming election. You know what? There's going to be an election, and my faith is in the election, and, and we're just going to vote Pharaoh out. No, that's probably not what was happening, that they were going to get to vote for their candidate of their choice. I'm not downplaying, minimizing an election, but I am sliding the accent mark from election to God and trusting him more than whoever our favorite candidate may be. You see, that kind of reasoning, waiting for the election, suggests that if they can just get the right person in the office, their lives would change to their liking. And so rather than putting their trust in the current leader or the next one, they did something otherworldly. Their confidence was in God. And to him they followed regardless of their country's onerous proclamations. Faith without works is 
dead. And James talked about this in chapter 2, as you are aware in his book. Let me give you some snippets that cover chapter 2, verses 14, all the way down to 26. Here are a few of those sentences, not all of them, but it does grab the context of what James was communicating. And as you hear this and you think about Moses's mom and, and how she was placing her faith in God, it was active faith uh, rather than in whatever was going on in the country. This is what James says about active faith. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith. Apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see that faith was active along with Abraham's works. James is talking about Abraham here. His faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, quote, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. And then verse 26 of James 2, For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. And so the big question here is an active faith. And this is where I want to self-examine. I trust you want to self-examine. We say that we have faith in God, then faith governs. Faith governs our minds, our hearts, our words, our actions. Our actions, our words actually tell us the quality of our faith. Out of the heart, our mouth speaks, and so our words are banners and billboards that communicate to the world where our faith is. And so if our words and actions seem to lean more toward worry or complaining or sinful angry reactions, then that is a sad revelation on the faith that we say we possess. Moses' mother was not like that, from best we can tell, as uh, perceived through her active faith and the things that she did. And so let's fast forward a few thousand years, and here we are, right on the cusp of another election and as I look at the strife in our country, I am disheartened by how far we have strayed from God. And this is where I have to reflect on where my faith is and sometimes reactivate my faith because I can become so encumbered by what I see, what I hear, that it begins to drown out what should be speaking more loudly into my uh, mine, which is God's word. Now, we are by no means at the same place where Moses' parents were. As I mentioned earlier, they were slaves. We are not. But we are on the edge of watching more of our assumed freedoms crumble. Before marriage and children going through a tough time, it was much easier because I only cared for myself. And I, th I think about that 
often because the addition of a family, it does drastically change a person's thinking. And every parent in the world who is listening to this podcast knows exactly what I am saying. Now I have others to care for and to, and to protect. And at times I can feel helpless when I look at all the chaos in our country. I even feel anxious about what the future of our country will look like for my children. And by the way, I think more about that than myself. I, I don't really have that much of an interest uh, in myself. And I have, to, for full disclosure sake, I'm an old person. And I don't have that much time left. And that's, quite frankly, how I think about it. And so I... I, when I say I don't have concern, that much concern for myself, it's not because I have great faith and I'm trusting God. No, I'm an old man, and I'm, I can see the finish line from where I sit. But I, I do feel anxious for my children, and this is a problem that I have to wrestle through. And some of you are right there, either for yourselves or, or for those within your sphere of care. And so when I read this stunning story of a woman who placed her son in a basket and set it to sell in a river, trusting God to either take care of him on this earth or to take him from this earth. Either way, she knew God was in complete control over this little life he had blessed her with, and, and she trusted his care, and the rest is history. Sometimes it's easier to complain about what is taking place in our country than to have faith in God and His working out of His plans. Yes, His sovereign permissions may involve strife and difficulties for America and the country in which you live too. And things could get nasty. But here's the challenge. I challenge you to not put your faith in a person or in people who are like you and me, sinful, fallen, totally depraved. We're all equal. Everybody's equal. Only by the grace of God are any of us different, but on our best day, we are not the people in which to place our faith. Our faith has to be in God and his ability to use all things, even bad things, for his glory. The article that I just shared with you was written by Tracy Keen. The title of it is, How Does Your Faith Govern Your Heart This Election Season? Let me get into the call to action, and I trust that, that you will take some of the questions that I want to ask you, you would spend, that I will ask you, and that you spend time reflecting on them, maybe talking to someone about this article or these questions. Moses's parents did not start up a Make Egypt Great Again campaign. There was nothing big or glamorous about what they did, at least not in our eyes. They humbly and submissively put their trust in the only one who was going to be able to take care of them. Nothing dramatic. I imagine if you walk down the street of Moses Avenue, you, you would not even, there's a good chance you would know 
where they lived, that they weren't any different than, than anyone else. They humbly and submissively put their trust in the only one who was going to be able to take care of them. As election time draws closer and closer, and the possibility of losing more freedoms in the future, who do you place your trust in during this difficult time? And that is the $10 zillion million question. Now I have a couple of more for your reflection. Do you have a friend where you can mutually encourage one another? Do you have that person, just somebody that you can talk to? If you don't, and you're listening to this podcast, then you do. Therefore, you can't say you don't have a friend. We will be your friend. And if you don't have anybody within your immediate sphere, talking face-to-face, real, real live, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your work, in your school, in your community, or maybe even on social media as a second-best option, well, then you have us, and we would love to talk to you. We have a free community forum, and we would love to encourage you. We would love for you to be here. There's no cost. What we have here is free to you, and so we're not going to hook you into anything. Other than we want to be your friend if you have no one to talk to. We need each other as a Christian community. This is not a time for Christians to be divisive and to be biting and devouring one another. No matter—I mean, we don't have to— Nobody's going to agree. Uh, it's 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 unreasonable to think that we're all going to agree on everything. I mean, that's that's ridiculous and sophomoric. But we need each other, and we need to be a community. And so, if you don't have anyone to talk to, I encourage you to come to us. Number two, how do your favorite media outlets affect you? Now, this is a big deal. Do the media outlets? whether it's the television, the radio, whether it's podcasting, whether you gain it somewhere on social media, do they increase your faith? Do they inform your faith? Do they, do they discourage you? If you are less hopeful today than last year, and the news you view is feeding the despair, then I appeal to you to curtail your viewer and listening habits. you got to stop it. Not, it may not stop it. you got to moderate it. You got to draw it back. There's, there's another question here. I'm out of time. I won't be able to get to it, but you're welcome to read it. Let us know how we can serve you. Thanks for listening.